Do this with me for a moment. Just close your eyes and let's just sit in this moment. Shanda bakusunda bashede bede, kura babasata taraboshunda, sanda raboshu kura babasata, biborumuna sanda rabakashi kura babasanda raboshu, si kura barlianda rabasanda rabashai. There is a storm on the horizon. Fear not. This storm is not from me. I'm calling it out for you before it arrives to prepare you. You are to be a safe harbor in this storm, protecting, shielding, welcoming. Do not be afraid of the storm. I'm sending you out into this storm full of my peace to rescue those that are drowning in hopelessness, anxiety, anger, and brokenness. They need me, and I'm sending you full of my presence, power, and peace. Do not rage against the storm. Speak to it. Declare peace to it. It will not destroy you if you stay in me. This is your time. I have prepared you and am preparing you now for this moment. Hear me and speak. See me and follow. Signs. Wonders and miracles will demonstrate my love for all people. Freedom is coming for all in bondage. Hope to the hopeless and light to those in darkness. Now, if you're like, what on earth just happened? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it lists out gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of those gifts listed out in verse 10, verse 10 says this. So we're jumping in in the middle, but I just want to, I want to pastor you through this, okay? It says, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. And so that's what just happened. It was a message in tongues, which in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, can be tongues of men or tongues of angels. And then there was an interpretation of, those, of that message. How many, how many have heard that before? I've seen that demonstrated. Okay. That is not something I do often, to be honest. That is only the second time I've ever felt God give something like that to me in a message, in another tongue, and then in, 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 in an interpretation. So I, this is what I want us to do. I just want us to take a deep breath. It's okay. 
It's everything's going to be okay. So if you are a little bit shook, bear with us. Everything's going to be okay. All right. If you were to look at our culture, it would seem as though truth is a moving target. See, because what was true 10 years ago is now no longer true, and what was false then is now true. See, we have things like my truth and your truth, and those truths are not always the same truth, but they are still taken as truth. The rise in popularity with that term, my truth, has given the impression that truth is fluid and it, it, it moves and changes and shifts. This is wrong. Truth is not fluid. Truth is concrete. See, my understanding of truth might be fluid. How I understand truth might change. But truth it does, my understanding of truth does not change the truth. It's just my understanding of that truth that changes. So what I want to talk to you about today will impact and does impact every area of your entire life. From how you see God to what you believe about salvation. To how you see the natural world around you and how you determine what is moral and what is ethical. Today we're going to talk about the Bible. And you might sit there and think, you know what, well we're in church, I really hope we're going to talk about the Bible. Truthfully, though, we usually talk from the Bible. Today I want to talk about the Bible. See, what you believe about the Bible is, found, is the foundation for what you believe from the Bible. And what you believe about the Bible determines what you believe about God. So we have become a society that is driven by our feelings, what we feel. It feels good, so how can it be bad? Or how can it be wrong? Well, I feel like this is, this is right and this is the right thing to do, so it, it must be right. I feel and just like literally fill in the blank. If you're having a conversation with anybody, they're going to lead with that. Well, I feel, and then, the, the, this is, then they, they state what they feel. And what they feel is stated as though it is truth and true. See, our feelings, let's acknowledge this, our feelings, number one, are real. They are very real. Number two, they are very powerful. It's also important to acknowledge that our feelings are God-given. And they can be great tools for us when they are submitted to the Holy Spirit. But when they're not submitted to the Holy Spirit, our feelings run wild and they can drive us in ways and into places that God never intended us to be. Your feelings, though real, are not always true. See, your feelings will lie to you and they will mislead you and your feelings will change. Truth does not. Truth does not change. See, as, as followers of Jesus, we must be able to, de to determine truth and to live by truth over our feelings. Even if it goes against everything inside of us, we have to submit to truth. Renee's mom said something to her many years ago when she was 18, year old, 18 years old coming 
out of high school, fresh graduation, moving across the country to go to Bible college, to do ministry training, to prepare for her calling. And this is what her mom said to her. Have the courage to believe the truth, even if it's different from what you've always believed. I've been praying a lot into this morning. I've activated many of our prayer, prayer people. And I'm believing that courage will rise up inside of you to believe the truth, even if it's different from what you've always personally believed and even if it's different than what goes, it goes against your feelings. So I want to share with you today three things that the Bible is and how they need to shape our lives. Number one, the Bible is God's word. He is the author, and he worked through human scribes. See, when you participate in one of our partnership events here that we have at our church, we go through and, and go over 16 fundamental truths and beliefs. These are things that we hold on to that, that, that guide, they're like guideposts along our, our faith. And the very first one that we go over is this. The scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man. Infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. All right, I know that that is wordy and that's a mouthful. But we'll walk through this a little bit. The reason that this is the very first truth that we, that we go through and that's listed first in this, these 16 truths is that it determines the foundation for everything else that follows it. Because if you do not believe that the Bible is true, then how can we stand here and teach from the Bible? The Bible is true, and so then we, everything else that we believe stacks up on that. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And if you don't have your Bibles, it'll, uh, it'll be on the screens. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, From childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God. Inspired literally means that it is God breathed. And so depending on the translation that you have, that you are reading, it might say all scripture is God breathed. The Bible was written by a special act of the Holy Spirit where he guided the writers. This covers all that they wrote, including the choice of their words and their thoughts. The Bible is not the record of what people wrote with their own minds, with what they came up with. It comes from God. It is literally breathed out of who he is. All scripture is inspired or God-breathed. Each author recorded the words of God without being taken over completely by the Holy Spirit. Okay, see, this, this is important because as you read through the Bible, you see a variety of writing styles. 
See, the words of God came through a package that was the scribe, the person writing it. And so you sense and you get a, you get a feel of the different writing styles and the different, the different ways that it's, that it's recorded. God breathed it and people wrote it. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For this reason, we, are also con- we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Okay, so the first scripture that we read out of 2 Timothy, Paul mentions this. He calls, he says to Timothy, you have believed and obeyed the sacred writings, which Paul is referencing the Old Testament. See, the Old Testament was given to, to us to point us to Jesus. That's the purpose of the Old Testament. It's to point us to Jesus, to let us know that there is a need of a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul puts his words in the same category as the Old Testament, calling them the word of God. See, Paul is saying that both the Old Testament books and the New Testament letters that he was currently writing were both breathed by God and they were not just simply words of men. The words of men are not on the same level as the words of God. The words that come out of my mouth are not on the same level as the words of the Bible. When the words of men contradict the words of God, it is the word of God that stands true and the words of men that must be set aside. Okay? Who's seen the movie Rudy? Rudy. Okay, if you haven't seen the movie Rudy, you should watch it. It's a a classic, timeless classic. So, to quote the great theologian from the movie Rudy, Father Kavanaugh, There is a God, and I am not him. Never forget that. There are times when we, and I don't believe intentionally get that confused, but we unintentionally put ourselves in the place of God. There is a God, and I am not him. Okay, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter writes, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter writes, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. See, Scripture does not have its roots in the mind or the heart of man. Men were moved. And that, when it says that men were moved, what it literally means is that they were carried along. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit and they were recording his words, which had been written down and recorded for us in what we call the Bible. Okay, now, how we got to, there's 66 books in, in here. 66 separate books. How we got to this, these specific 66 books 
is outside of what I'm teaching on today. Literally, there's hours that we could spend going through how we got to what's in the Bible. But I would encourage you, on your own, on your own time, to do a historical study of how we got to what, and it's called the canon of Scripture. All 66 books, this is called the canon of Scripture, and it's closed. We don't add to it, we don't take away from it. But if you want to do a historical study on how we got to this, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And it also gives further weight to the miracle of what we have in our hands. The very word of God. Number two, the Bible is true. So in the, in the lofty language that we used at the very beginning, we say that the, the Bible is infallible, which means that the scriptures are true and reliable in what they intend to state. We'll also, you'll also find that the term inerrant is also used, which means that the scriptures are recorded in the original manuscripts. They are absolutely without error and completely truthful. The scriptures are 100% trustworthy. Okay. But we all know that this is not an original manuscript, right? Because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament written in Greek, mine is written in English. So what about the copies that we have? Surely, there has to be things that were lost in translation over the centuries, right? This is what, this is, as we think this through, we're thinking there has to be something that was lost in translation. So strict inerrancy is claimed only for the original writings and those no longer exist, but... The wording can be determined with such incredible precision as experts throughout the centuries upon centuries have worked with thousands of ancient biblical texts to ensure accurate translations for us today. So we may not have the original parchment papers, you know, that, that Paul sent those letters on, but we've got copies of those manuscripts, thousands upon thousands of them. And scholars and experts have poured over those to make sure that what we have in our hands, what you have in your phone or the hard copy, is reliable and accurate. The Bible is the most highly verified ancient book of all time. And because of the precise translation and the scrutiny, like it's not like it was just thrown together. There's been people throughout the ages that have poured over what we have, scrutinized it. We are assured of the reliable text and that they are trustworthy to us today. Let me be clear. The Bible is true. The one I hold in my hand, the one you hold in your hand, and the one that's in your phone. All of the major translations are 100% trustworthy true, and very accurate. Now, the one caveat is that inerrancy is directed toward what Scripture declares, teaches, and affirms rather than the information that is merely uh, accurately reported. For example, I want to make sure that some of these nuances are important for you to catch. For example, there are stories in the Bible, and in the story there was deception that was used. And that deception is recorded in what took place. There's an accurate, ac excuse me, accurate record of what took place in that story, including the accurate record of the deception. Now, the recording of that story and the events that took place 
100% true. The deception is not true. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you read of a person that used deception, that deception is still deception, it's not truth, even though it's accurately recorded. And the events are accurately recorded and are true as they happened. Okay? I know I'm not giving you like light stuff today. This is more, this is more meaty stuff. I hope you brought a fork and knife. <laughs> you can chew it. This will be online. You can chew on this again later. It's also important to clarify that the authority of Scripture covers everything the Bible teaches and affirms, not just the message of faith. Okay, so to believe that when, when, only when the Bible speaks to the message of faith is it true and accurate and trustworthy is incorrect. See, when the Bible teaches or mentions something about matters of science, natural law, or morals and ethics, that is true. It is truth. We cannot pick and choose which parts of the Bible we are going to believe as truth. This is God's word and it is true. Every part of it. See, the, the doctrine of the Bible or our belief in the Bible is anchored in our doctrine or our belief of God. And since God is the author of Scripture, then we cannot separate the character and the attributes of God, who is the divine author, with the character of his divine word. The Bible has many writers, but one author, God. And because God is true, and he is absolute truth, his word is also truth. Number three, the Bible is accurate and has no errors or contradictions. God is a good God. God is a good God. And he loves people. He's better than what we actually understand him to be. That's how good God is. And he loves us more than we could ever comprehend. Do you think a good and loving God would provide us with a flawed instrument by which we have to direct our lives? Would God not assure us that the source of our faith, the source of truth and of conduct and our morals and ethics be accurate and fully trustworthy? How twisted and, and may, may I even like use the word perverted would it be for God to require us to live righteous and holy law, uh, lives, but not give us a way to know what is righteous and what is holy? Like how, like God does not set us up to fail like that. He tells us, be holy for I am holy. If I don't have his Bible, how do I know what that is? I'm like shooting at the dark hoping I know what holiness is. How many times do you read in the Bible God requiring something of us without providing direction and empowering empowerment for us to accomplish it? None. You never see it. You never see God ask somebody to do something and not empower him or give him the direction to do it. Right? God told Moses to part the Red Sea. He didn't leave him hanging out there all on his own. That will be setting us up for failure. 
He may ask us to do impossible things. But he always meets us where what's possible for us ends. See, where what's possible for us ends is where what's possible for God begins. And so when he asks you to do something that is impossible, you can be trust, he can be trusted to meet you where what's possible with you ends. Because that's where his possibility begins. So then what do we do when we come across a passage that's difficult to understand or that doesn't make sense or that's problematic? Because I wouldn't, I wouldn't even dream to stand up here and tell you you're not going to come across something here that you're, that you're not going to understand. You will read things in here that you won't understand. You will read things in here that don't make sense. And you're like, man, that seems like, I don't know. I don't know about that. So what do we do? Isaiah chapter 55 Verses 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, when we come across something that we don't understand or something that, that appears to be problematic in the scripture, we humble ourselves. That's what we do. I must continually remind myself that I am not God. And that I will not be able to understand everything that a God who is beyond our understanding is doing or saying. See, if I think that I, I, that I should be able to understand all aspects of God, everything that he's doing and everything that he's saying, then I have reduced God down to man. Because that's my capacity for understanding. We do not have the capacity to understand and comprehend God. It's prideful to lift myself up on par with the creator of the universe. And to think that my identifying of apparent contradictions and errors is accurate. We are fallible. God is not. See, humility positions us to continue to search for understanding. See, when we're confronted with, that, with those occasional problematic passages, humility keeps us from misjudging the scriptures as just saying, well, that's got an error. That's got a contradiction. I don't know about that. I'm not going to believe that. I've said this before, that when we believe that the scripture has errors or contradictions, what's really happening is that it's pointing out the contradictions and errors in our own lives, and we don't like it. See, I don't like it when I'm told that I'm wrong. And the scripture often tells me that I'm wrong. And so that I could either come to a place of humility and bend my knee and be like, okay, I am wrong, you are not. Or I can stand back and be like, that's a contradiction, that's an error. When in reality, I am the contradiction and I am the error. The scriptures are not simply one authority among many. They are the final authority. See, because the, the Bible is the word of God, because it is true, and because it is accurate, then the Bible defines our worldview, our morals, and our ethics. So I hope you're following me, me this morning because I, I, we stated those things, and so because the Bible is true, it's his word, and it's accurate, because of those three things, then it must define our worldview. It must define what morality is and what our ethics are. The Bible is the authoritative rule of faith and conduct for everyone that claims to follow Jesus. 
You cannot claim, well, you can, it's not accurate. You're deceiving yourself. You cannot claim to follow Jesus and not follow the Bible. It doesn't work that way. See, the Bible calls for us to accept the scripture as the final and unchanging authority for what we believe, for what our ethics are, for what our moral standards are. Because the beliefs and the moral standards of societies throughout history have changed and shifted over time. Let me just look at our own country. What we thought 10, 20 years ago that was ethical and moral is now no longer ethical and moral. And it's often, in many cases, it's, it's promoted as acceptance, as, as love, as freedom, as equality, when many times it's, it's bondage. It's death, it's captivity, it's, it's, it's giving place for selfishness. What society believes is moral and ethical shifts, what the Bible says does not. There are many who try to twist the Bible to make it say what they want. To make it affirm their lifestyle choice or their belief system. We cannot make the Bible say what we want. It says what it says. And our job is to correctly interpret that, not to twist it. Dr. Tony Evans said this. Truth is the absolute standard by which reality should be measured. It's God's view on any subject matter. This truth lives outside of you. Okay, so in other words, if it's true, then it doesn't matter with you that whether you agree with it or not. It doesn't matter with uh, whether you feel it or not. If it's truth, it's true because God says it is. That means that there is no such thing as my truth and your truth. You may have your belief and your perspective, but when it comes to what is true, that has already been decided by God himself. See, our challenge then is to bring our thoughts and our beliefs and our feelings into submission to what the Bible says on every subject. And this, family, this is the challenge. Because as I start, what I said when I started, our, our feelings are so powerful, they're so real. We have to bring them into submission to what the Bible says. See, where we often fall short is in taking the time to prayerfully read the scriptures to find out what God says about any, any given subject matter. It's, it's so much easier just to live by your feelings because it takes like no effort to know what I feel, right? Like I feel like mustard is, a, is, is you know, birthed out of the bowels of hell. But that's what I feel, right? <laughs> See, I, it takes no effort for me to determine how I feel. But to search the scriptures, and we all know mustard's not in here. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. Oh. Jim, someone was listening to your message from a couple weeks ago. <laughs> all right, I yield. See, it takes no effort to determine what I feel, but to determine what Jesus says about something, what the Bible says about something, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes prayer. And 
Can I also add that it takes community? If you just sit in a room all by yourself and try and figure out what it is the Bible says, the enemy will come along and he will twist that. We were never meant to live in isolation. We were meant to do this together in community. If I just live my life based on how I feel, it sets me up as the God of my own personal world. I become my own God. And what we're called to is to submit to Jesus who is God. Right? There is a God and we are not he. He has given us his word so that we can live lives of justice. Live lives of righteousness, of love, real love, true love, and freedom in Jesus. So over the next few weeks, we have to keep today's teaching in mind. Because inevitably, our feelings and our personal beliefs are going to get challenged over the next few Sundays. And if, see, if we humbly submit to what the scriptures state, then we will grow in maturity. We will become more like Jesus as we draw in closer to him. But if we become offended and we dig our heels in, then we'll be stunted in our maturity. And we will pull away from Jesus even though that might not be the intention of your heart. Today, I've just really honestly, I've just scratched the surface of why the Bible is God's word. There's so much to this, of why this is the word of God, why it's true and why it's accurate. I haven't even talked about the prophecies that the Bible has already accurately predicted. Did you know that there are over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible. And there are about 2,000 that have already happened to the letter that the Bible recorded with no errors or nothing. They were prophesied in the Bible and they happened the way the Bible said that they would. Hundreds of years, hundreds upon hundreds of years before they ever even took place. Like Isaiah 53 prophesies Jesus like 350 years before Jesus was ever born. So if there's 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, 2,000 of them have already happened the way the Bible said that they would, the odds of this happening by random chance are one in one with, with 2,000 zeros behind it. Does, who knows what the largest number that we know is called? You can't say that over there because I know you know. What about here? What's it called? It's a Google, not the search engine, right? But it's called a Google. And so a Google is, is a number, so like a one with a, a hundred zeros behind it. And that's the largest number that we as men, that, that we, we know and have named. The chances of 2,000, of 2,500 prophecies happening the way the Bible records them by chance is one in one with 2,000 zeros. Can we just say that there's no chance? <laughs> like, there is no chance that that happens. The Bible is God's word. It is truth. It is accurate, which means we must submit our thoughts 
and our feelings and our personal beliefs to what the Bible says. I want to pray for us. I'm actually going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to have you repeat this prayer. But don't do it if you don't mean it, okay? And I know it's kind of tricky because I'm not telling you what I'm going to have you pray. We're just basically going <laughs> to... My prayer is going to be rooted out of the teaching that I just gave you. We really have to come back to standing on the Bible. I have to know what truth is. And I have to let this truth define my life. Everything, every revelation in here, it should drive me closer and deeper to an encounter with the person of Jesus. If that's where you're at, maybe your eyes have been open, you didn't realize a lot of these things, then I want you to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I submit my life to you and to your word, the Holy Scriptures. Keep me humble as I seek the truth. I hold to the truth that is your word and not mine. I commit to living by your word and not my feelings or personal beliefs. Draw me into encounters with you as I receive revelation from the scriptures and that I will be full of your grace and truth. Amen.